Hey guys, welcome to the new episode of the Andy Social Podcast. And once you're done here, make sure to head over to Goat King Riders Club. Where we never let grammar get in the way of a good story. Good yarn. Yarn, story. Fuck, yeah. doesn't matter, does it? What <laughs> <laughs> well, does when we're doing the promo for it. Oh, well, that's what they're getting. <laughs> uh, also, come and check us out on uh, YouTube for full video versions. Enjoy yeah. the show. Hey, welcome back to my little show. Before we kick into it, you know what I'm going to say, Patreon. Come and join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. It is the best way to support this podcast and supports us around the buck a month. That is my goal for this year is to get as many $1 supporters as possible. Uh, the more I get, obviously, the better it's going to be, but it's the ultimate accountability piece, the ultimate motivator. It keeps me fired up. It's the reason, Patreon is the reason why this podcast exists in 2021 and it's the reason why there's two episodes a week firing on all cylinders. I'm absolutely loving it. It's because of the Patreon community. There are additional tiers there if you want access to the Patreon podcast each week or uh, giveaways and free stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff over there. So go over to patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Hey, it's the Andy Social Podcast, episode 293 of Me Little Show. And my guest on this episode is Mike Solo. Mike is the... He's the man. He's the man behind Bird's Robe. Bird's Robe is a record label, a management company, a booking agency. He's a tour promoter, a publicist, a publisher. I'm just basically reading everything off the Bird's Robe website here. He's, he's a machine. He's an absolute gun. And he's been a part of the Australian music scene for the past, uh, well, well and truly over a decade. Uh, sort of kicking off uh, a lot of uh, his involvement with Bird's Robe back in 2008 and He's just, he's done so much for Australian music. Um, a lot of the bands that he's worked with have uh, gone on to have incredible success. And not only does he run his label, but uh, he manages Sleep Makes Waves, Closure in Moscow. And um, he's a musician himself. He's an amazing drummer and, and has played in a bunch of bands over the years, just in, done incredible stuff. And he's someone that I really admire as a person. Um, and you hear me gush quite a bit in this episode. Uh, I'm going to have links in the show, show notes. Of course, birdsrobe.com is the place to go. Um, most importantly, before we kick into this episode, is that Mike is running a Kickstarter campaign at the moment for a Bird's Robe documentary called This Is Family. And just reading off the Kickstarter page, is a documentary series covering the story of Bird's Robe Records and the artists who define the Australian post-rock and prog scene. Uh, it's an incredible uh, project that uh, he's undertaking. He's got a bunch of people that are working with him to make this a reality. Um, it's going to be a series. Uh, there's a there's a lovely story here, a lovely a lovely story um, that sort of really contextualizes what he is planning to do. And uh, this Kickstarter project ends on the 23rd of May. So folks, if you're listening to this on time, please uh, go over, click in the show notes and click through to the Kickstarter campaign. I'll have a link right in there to make it nice and easy and uh, throw him a couple of bucks. Let's see if we can get him to his goal and uh, and really, um, I was going to say, kickstart uh, this project. Um, well, there you go. Um, that's, that's the way that it works, doesn't it, Andy? Anyway, enough crapping on from me. Please enjoy this great chat with the man himself, Mike Solo. First of all, congratulations on charting with Lord and that amazing Savage Garden track, uh, <laughs> which is one of my all-time favourite tracks. And uh, I love that you guys did that song. Um, and I love that Darren Hayes listened to it. And I love that it's this record that charted you guys. Uh, I just think it's all 
it's about time really <laughs> uh, yeah it just it made me happy in so many different ways so yeah i'm sure you guys are, are stoked about it and i know um you know all the behind the stuff like there's a lot of work involved but um yeah i just thought it was like an awesome thing and also kind of like a cool thing to happen at, it, at this time like there's not a lot of wins happening for the music industry side of things and you know to get a nice thing like that must feel really good so yeah well done thanks mate that's uh very very nice of you to say especially coming from you i mean you're you're somebody i think from afar although kind of in different different spaces um you know if we're going to really sort of niche down on on genres and things like that yeah but um i think what you do and the hustle that you've you put in over the years it's something i certainly admire so for you to sort of make that make that comment and make that acknowledgement is pretty cool um and and for us i mean geez i mean who would have thought an old crusty 80s heavy metal style band gets into the charts (laughs) i mean it's just it's uh it's a bit of a novelty so yeah, we'll we'll certainly ride that wave and try and make the most of it. But uh, yeah, it was a nice little nice little surprise and nice little tip of the hat, especially when it's you know, I mean, for us it was meant to be one of those interim releases, like a lot of bands are doing, just trying to keep keep it moving. Don't want to put all their eggs into one basket with a new you know album or anything like that. It's like okay, how can we stay in stay in the public eye? And uh, it was something for you know the inner circle of 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 our followers and supporters and. It kind of just took a life of its own, as as it sometimes does. So yeah, it's um, I don't know. It still hasn't sunk in yet. I've, I think as soon as that happened, I just I went into full on hustle mode, PR mode. How can I just keep milking this and keep the wave going? And and uh, I think it's only just starting to come down now. But um, yeah, I need to I need to sit back at some point and sort of think. Oh yeah, okay, that that actually happened. It wasn't just something that sort of swept by. Uh, <laughs> here's a here's a quick little thing. Oh. It's great. And as you, as you say, um, you do, you know, you're supposed to trumpet those things out there. Like you're supposed to let people know that's what, that's kind of the point of things like that. And, um, look, I don't think, you know, I think every time you write your, your bio or update your press releases in future, and it's always going to be a line in there, you know, I think you'll get a kick out of it every time you get to write it or just, you know, copy paste it into the new blurb for whatever is next. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the other thing you, you said is like, yeah, we're, we live in this world where you always have to keep the ball rolling and keep in front of people and keep relevant and ha- always have something coming out. But I really like that you guys, um, you know, keep having fun with it and obviously put out a project that was fun for you guys to do. And, and that, that just happened to be one of the things that like caught on. And then the other great thing is it didn't just make the chart, it stayed in the chart. And I yeah. think that, like, you know, it, it's it's a cool thing to be in the charts just, like, as a for a fan to see that. But to stay in it, like, that is such a huge thing. I mean, at least for me. But, you know, oh. like, it's think, not just uh, a bunch of orders and then it drops off to numbers. 50,000 it's stayed there and I think that like that is amazing as well so yeah you should feel great about it (laughs) thanks man I it's um it's certainly new territory for us and I think it opens up I mean it's so funny like after all these years and I know 
you know, I was writing down a bunch of notes to sort of touch on when we were having this chat and I was going through some of the, some of the achievements that you've had as a label with all the artists and all these accolades. And it's funny now for us so many years down the track that suddenly some of these things are starting to fall into place or the pieces are fitting in where you can sort of see, okay, there's, there, there is actually other possibilities here where we can go off in a different direction um, to try and get some more accolades and some more recognition. And to be honest, it's just about being a little bit smart to begin with and channeling it in the right direction. And I think that's something that a lot of bands struggle with and they don't understand that I think when you lift the hood, um, not to say that it's it's easy, but I think when people understand, you know, how to sort of tick the boxes and make sure that you're in the right spot to to be in the running, to be recognised. Um, yep. I think people realise that uh, those achievements aren't as distant or as unachie- unachievable as what people tend to think. So for us, like that second week, I mean, that opened my eyes up straight away because I could see, I could see the sales, I could see the figures, I could see what was what it was taking to be able to maintain that, and I just thought, okay, I. I'm, I'm starting to sort of strategize and thinking, okay, what do I need to do to keep this going into a third week? And, and now like all we're talking about in the band is like, well, when the next release comes, how can we be even smarter than we did this time? And how can we really lay it out and, and really put a, a good game plan in place to make sure that we, uh, we do a true campaign that, that doesn't just, you know, excite our fan base, but it, it also ensures that we can elevate into this, um, uh, into more of this public domain. Um, yeah, something that's just—it's—it's uh, it's been a recent light bulb moment. I love it. I love that you're doing that. I love that it's—it's it's not just like deer caught in the headlights, but it's like, oh, hey, this was great. Like, let's not just stop there. Let's apply it to our next thing. And you know, how can we make it that little bit better? Or you know, just make sure we're not going backwards. Or feel like we've done everything that we can to tick all the boxes and then if it if it happens great if it doesn't happens if it doesn't happen we're not left wondering you know and that that's sort of the thing where the artist is left wondering um that's that's or just even the fan is left wondering oh this band should be bigger than they are why aren't they that's i mean that's just the thing that is like compelled me to do so many things over the last 10 years you know and um there's just there's so many things like you don't know what you don't know and then suddenly something happens or you have a 30 second conversation with someone or or whatever and then suddenly it's like oh that's how you do it okay cool well now i know to do that every time um so yeah i guess i'm, I'm talking a bit vague <laughs> But, you know, this is a great example of that. Like, um, you know, wh- just this this thing that has happened, but now you you know the figures that underlie it. You know, you know, how it all kind of works and how, some, how sales translate into a chart position. And, you know, th- it, there, it can be more complicated, like the, the time of the year and mm. who else is released in the same week and all that kind of stuff has a big impact. But um ballpark now you have a really valuable answer to a question that a lot of people don't know the answer to which is like how many sales does it take how do we even get them counted for the chart all that kind of stuff um and yeah you know i i think 
it's great as well that it's you know a band like you guys that have the opportunity to see what that is and then hopefully take it a step further next time um so yeah good times oh just i feel like i feel like the mad scientist you know and i've always and this is why i sort of really admire what you've been doing over the years because it's real hands-on it is diy it is building something from nothing it is that experimentation of just trying lots of different things and and no doubt over the years you've had so many things that have just absolutely failed miserably but oh, yeah. <laughs> but out of that you've you've had these these great successes as well but i mean that that's that's part and parcel of 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 what you need to do and uh, i i love it i love i love the experimentation when it comes down to like even just the the minutia of like oh before i gave you a call i'm just looking around my little office here i've got parcels and parcels of just like merch orders that I've been packing up and it's so tedious and boring at times, but I'm like adding all these extra things into them just to excite people. And I'm trying to work out what's going to retain people and putting little messages in there. I'm thinking about sort of that, you know, that, that return sale and people coming back and ordering more things in the future and, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping, keeping a list of those people and recognizing names and thinking about what they've bought before, what they haven't bought before. And that's just from a merch point of view. And, but then, you know, it goes into the marketing, it goes into the PR, it goes into just all that networking that, you know, over the years you've built so many relationships of having a beer at a pub or at a gig with somebody, but you never do anything with it. And then eventually down the track you go, okay, now I know where these pieces lie and what I can do to hopefully give someone else value and then in turn eventually get an opportunity down the track as well. So there's just, there's just so many things. I mean, I when I was sort of writing down notes to – to talk to you, I'm like, oh man, I could just talk about so many different topics. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> just in the whole, that whole space of just creating something from nothing and just trying to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. I look, firstly, thanks so much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, all, all the things you sort of mentioning there, it is the tiny details, um, you know, that sometimes, become the things that you fixate on and that, that actually make a difference and yeah look I'm I'm always happy to talk about anything all day long uh it's good fun I always get something out of it because you know it's it's like gathering other people's perspectives on all this stuff is pretty much how I've learned the way that I want to try and do things and um and one of the most important things that I learned really early on is uh you never stop learning like you you never know everything it doesn't help anyone if you pretend like you know everything it's always useful to just like put stuff out there and say hey how do you do this how do you what do you do with your merch orders how do you send them out do you put handwritten notes or do you like put flyers or you know how many a week do you do do you have a contract with australia post are you using recycled or plastic like whatever it is, even just in that one, you know, element of, of, you know, doing stuff DIY. Um, and, and maybe all the answers are the, are like, they're doing exactly what you're doing and that's a great validation. Or maybe they're doing something that you've never even conceived of. And you're like, Oh, that's an awesome idea. Can you, can you hook me up with that supplier or whatever? Um, or maybe you're the person that's giving someone else advice and you get to feel good about that, you know? Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm always happy to talk about anything and it's, 
you know, things still continue to evolve and change over time. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always like fascinated, uh, especially by, um, you know, self-managed groups and really just like artists, well, really people in general, like what are the goals that motivate them to do things? Um, you know, what are the things on their bucket list? Like that has become kind of a, a go-to line when I sit down with an artist. It's like, you know, what are the things that you really want to do? Like what excites you? And everyone's got something different, whether it's like we want to chart or we want to make a living from music or we just want to make an album um, and have as many people as possible hear it or we just want to play a headline show to 156 people because our previous best was 153, <laughs> you know, or we want to sell out that the tote or the zoo or the Annandale or the Rosemount or we want to play in Europe, whatever it is, like however big or small, uh, the, you know, one person's goal isn't any more or less important than someone else's because you know how much joy it brings you when you finally get to do something that you've dreamed of doing, whether it's playing in a different city or playing in a different continent. Like those things can mean the same thing in terms of the happiness they bring to two pe different people just because it's, you know, their starting point is different. So uh, I'm all about like trying to facilitate that stuff and then you – if you're lucky enough, you get to tick some of those things off your bucket list and you, you enter the other side where it's like, oh, what's next? Like, because, you know, as humans, we just continually want more. Like, it's mm -hmm. never enough. So, um, oh, you had 156 people. Next gig, I want 200 people. Oh, you played one festival and now you want to play three festivals oh, you put out an album and it charted at 27. Now you want to put out an album and chart in the top 20, whatever it is. Um, people want more. And, and so it's like, oh, how do we keep this thing going so that everyone's still having fun and enjoying it and, and we're getting great music and art out of it and people aren't just getting bored or burnt out or, you know, feel like they're on someone else's treadmill just for money or whatever. Um, and that's also a question for myself as well. Like what, what do I, how much do I want to keep living vicariously through other artists' successes, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. achieving things that I was never able to achieve? Um, and you know, what, like, how does that fit into my overall life and how, how to, you know, what's the balance for other artists' lives? Um, I feel like I've just gone down some rambling path so <laughs> <laughs> well a question i was going to have because I, I i find that i mean i'm sure that i'm sure those types of conversations happen with a lot of different labels and and independent sort of management and things like that with with artists but um i still feel that that's such a fresh and unique take because i think when you look at it from from afar when you just focusing on on a label um, you know, there's, there's certain metrics and you, you're trying to generate sales. And I guess you can look at it from a very black and white perspective. It's, 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 uh, you know, a series of functions that the record label, um, you know, operates in and provides. 
Um, and that might be the be all and end all. And I guess the success of some labels is that they're probably far more hands on or a little bit more immersed with, with the artists themselves. But I guess an interesting question could be like with when you guys started, started out back in 08 and trying to like get this thing up and running and, and what the origins of, of, you know, Bird's Robe was at the time, did you have this thought in your head that it was about providing that platform for other artists? Was it, was it about sort of, uh, it's, oh, I'm trying to think of a better way of wording this. Yeah. No, rather, you, you... rather for selfish intentions for yourself, were you already in that sort of proactive wanting to help others and lift other people up straight away? Or was that something that sort of evolved over time and, and the pieces started to fall into place? Ah, that is an awesome question. Yes. Let's go back and do some chronological uh, history or something. So, um, yeah, I was playing in a band and uh, my band was playing, you know, some like 70s inspired prog rock stuff. And the bass player in the band uh, and the guitarist in the band were like, oh, you know, in the 70s, there are all these, like, jam sessions and collaborations between people and, um, you know, maybe we could, like, start this idea of a collective of bands. And Elephant Six Collective, which was, like, a early 2000s collective um, based around some indie experimental rock groups in North America, was an example that um, Alex, the bass player, brought up, just saying, oh, yeah, these bands got together and, like kind of started their own label and played a lot of shows with each other and, um, you know, a rising tide floats all boats. Like everyone brought their own little audience to the shows and so it was something that became greater than the sum of its parts. Because, hmm. um, you know, when you're in a band gigging in the underground, you're like, you're literally just trying to get the venue, trying to convince the venue to book you and the venue needs 120 people on a Thursday night and so you book four bands who can each bring 30 people and there's your 120. And we were doing that, but we were playing with bands who's, you know, there'd be a folk band and a metal band and a punk band. And so everyone would bring their 30 people, but, you know, none of those audiences really wanted to listen to the other bands. Mm. They, they were like, we're here for our friends and we're not interested in whatever weird music you're playing because it's too different. Um, and that, that sounds like an oversimplification of like humans in general. Cause we all know people listen to all kinds of different music, but that's just how it was. Like sometimes people go out to have a live music experience and they really wanted to just have a night of heavy metal or a night of awesome folk music or a night of funk and soul. And to have this big jumble of styles, you know, I would love it. I, I would listen to all that stuff, but not a lot of other people are, you know, the Venn diagram, like the overlap isn't going to be big enough. So there was some frustration for us. We're like, how are we going to make new fans? Um, let's try and find some other like-minded bands and that'll help build our audience. And so, yeah, to answer your question, the very initial concept of getting a group of like-minded, like-minded bands together was to try and grow the band that I was in. But what then happened very quickly was we found 
this other band called Captain Kickass and the Awesomes. Mm-hmm. So my band was called Florence Jam. We saw this band called Captain Kickass and the Awesomes in Sydney who played awesome, like psychedelic math rock. And the first time I saw them, I was like, oh my God, like this is one of the best bands I've ever seen. And there's like 27 people in the room, like more people need to see this band. And I just had, and like, I just had this moment of like, well, we got to like do gigs with them because more people need to see them. And, you know, when you see an artist that you really like, you kind of really hope that they'll like your band too. So maybe they'll like us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we became really close friends with them and started trying to do more gigs with them. And our audiences both really liked each other because there was some overlap in the style and and they're just awesome people. And so, you know, the the sort of self-interest started to fade away. I I was still very self-interested playing in my band and trying to book all these early gigs. But what soon happened is like no sooner had we started this bird's robe thing and found a bunch of bands in Sydney that we thought would, would work really well together. Then my band decided that we were going to write just more like straight up Led Zeppelin blues rock and not do 25 minute prog tracks anymore. And so I had this sort of period of reflection where I was like, oh, well, what's the point of booking all these gigs if my band isn't going to play them and I'm not going to benefit from it, right? Mm. And um, I was maybe thinking about this for like a week because uh, it was just like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, my band is having much more success doing normal music. I've got my, my hands up with, you know. <laughs> um, and I went to go and see a band called Space Project play a gig. They, they were like, part of the birds road collective by then and they were just playing some other gig um and i just sat there watching them getting goosebumps and like almost crying when they reached this awesome emotional peak to one of their tracks and i and i just said to myself oh this is why i'm doing this because they i get this feeling like i'm my band's not playing tonight i've got you know, no financial interest in this, but this band and all these other bands just make me feel amazing and they deserve to be heard by more people. And so that, that, that moment flicked the switch completely over to, you know, it's about just trying to get all these bands as much exposure as I could. And, um, you know, whether it was space project or pirate or captain kickass and the awesomes or, Toe or Shanghai or, or like whatever, any of those little bands uh, that I fell in love with, I was trying to get them all in the same lineup, get everyone to watch each other, and I would like talk them up like crazy. And I, I don't know, like you know, if you, a good analogy would be like, let's say you've got a great, you've got a best friend from high school, and then you've got a best friend from uni, and you know that they are also going to be best friends as soon as they see each other. And so you can't wait to introduce them to each other. And then you introduce them and then you anxiously wait to see if they're getting on really well. And then when you 
they're, they're getting on really well, you're just like, yes, you know, <laughs> um, you know, or, or whatever. It's like you, you're introducing your romantic partner to your parents and you know that they're going to love each other. And then when they actually do, it's, it's not only a relief, but it's like a genuine joy because now like you've made this connection, you've helped make this connection. And, um, I like, I didn't expect that I was going to feel like that, but I just genuinely got this great joy out of introducing artists to other artists. And then, you know, I'd be doing these gigs and like watching the bands in the audience, watch the person playing this, the other band playing on stage for the first time. And they would get that same reaction that I got the first time I saw them. And so that's when I knew it wasn't just me. Like there was something actually special about these acts because all these musicians and fans that I would see at every show would come up to me and say, oh man, that band Squat Club, oh, they're the greatest band I've ever seen. Or Pirate, like, oh, they sound like 70s King Crimson meets the Mars Volta. It's awesome. Or Captain Kick-Ass Awesomes are like, what was that? It, you know, and they're just like, screaming out during the show and all this kind of stuff so um yeah then it then it was like cool we've got a community of bands uh that you know we found through gigging or i was just back in the day on myspace looking through top eight friend lists of different bands <laughs> uh, remember that like sure uh, oh, pirates sound good i wonder who's in their top eight friends who's the biggest band Oh, they sound really cool. Like, who's in their top eight friends? Oh, there's like a Sleep Makes Waves and a Lander Configurations and a Panzer Queen and a Solkiri and, you know, quickly like finding all these artists. Um, and, uh, you know, not to mention the Ozprog.com forum, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, I think how uh, we first connected, certainly how I first found out about Lord through mm -hmm. your amazing. Kylie Minogue cover, uh, and and that's how I found Toe Hider, and I mean that changed my life along with many other things. Um, but yeah, it, you know the the next step from there was, well, we've we've achieved the goal of having gigs with these awesome artists together, but how do we take this a step further? Like, how do we? help an artist put an album out and promote the show and the album and start to tour and play interstate and, you know, go from there. And I was always really adamant that there was a potential audience for this weird prog music or post-rock or whatever, because I would point to, it was, for me, it was just like basic logic, right? Like if, if your mum and dad is like, Oh, Andy, why are you playing in a metal band? There's no future in it. You can always say, well, hang on. Metallica is one of the biggest bands in the world. So people like metal music. So why can't I be in a metal band? And I was doing the same thing with like prog and post-rock saying, well, you know, if the Mars Volta can play to 5,000 people in Sydney or, you know, Sigur Ross can play to 7,000 people in Melbourne, there's no reason that a really good Australian band couldn't get in front of that audience and make the audience like them and then do the same thing. It was just back in those days for me, it was just as simple as that. Like, Oh, Hey, if you like 
Dream Theater, then listen to Toe Hider and Arcane, and you should like them too. Or if you like Explosions in the Sky, listen to Sleep Makes Waves, you should like them too. Um, obviously, I didn't uh, appreciate how finicky some people can be with their taste in music back then, but it was just that simple mathematics like the numbers exist therefore we will be successful if we find a way of getting in front of those people but to get there we need to get some gigs we need to release music get it on the radio promote it start to tour with other bands play in other states play in other countries and um and you know apart from the great pleasure i took in like watching these artists uh, play more shows instead of just breaking up in exasperation, as was also happening to some bands that I liked. Um, I, you know, my own band was like doing its thing, but not really going anywhere. And so when these bands actually started to have opportunities to do things that I'd always dreamed of, um, I got such a huge kick out of that because, like, I know how much it meant to them and how much it would have meant to me if I got to do that with my band. And so I felt like, you know, I was living vicariously through some of these, um, these wins that some of the bands were having, but also I felt like being, having been in a band and having had the struggle, um, and experienced all that gave me some kind of empathy to help artists through, you know, difficult periods or periods of frustration or, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but then also not like having separation from a band. So not being like, you know, the manager, but then also the drummer. Um, I was able to go out there and kind of, uh, represent someone with great enthusiasm and they wouldn't be able to turn around and say, Oh, well, of course you think the band's great. You're the drummer. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I never, I was just like, oh, hey, you know, I've made some connections of my own, you know, through my band or through whatever else I've done. And now I'm going out there, putting my neck on the line saying, hey, man, you have to book this band. Trust me, they're amazing. They'll bring 150 people on a rainy Saturday night. You won't be disappointed. And they would do that and deliver and then we've got our foot in the door at the Andale Hotel or, you know, Tone or Excelsior or the ESPY or where, wherever we're playing, you know. Um, so that was a very long answer to your short question. Uh, but look, to be completely honest, yeah, it, it started with a large element of self-interest, but that quite quickly went through to some kind of altruism that has continued to this day. Did you, you sort of alluded to it earlier where you're talking about ensuring, you know, obviously you're, you're, you know, when you're approaching an artist and you're talking to an artist and you're trying to work out what their goals are and you want to work together to, to reach those goals, but also making sure that for yourself, like your overarching goals as a person and what you want to achieve, um, are sort of always in, in sight for yourself. I mean, those early, early days where, I mean, you've always played throughout the years. You've always been a musician, but I think you've obviously lent heavy into, you know, this this other part of, of, of the industry. Have your goals, your personal goals about where what you want to achieve, have, have they changed or have you always had something from the early days that you still sort of that aspirational sort of 
you know, you're talking earlier about, you know, you see thousands of people rocking up to, to a show, you know, in Sydney or Melbourne, surely, you know, there's a bunch of Australian bands that if those people got to listen to them, then they would be converted and they'd enjoy the, the bands that I'm promoting. Did you have this sort of, this big blue sky goal that you've always tried to work toward? Yeah. Um, man, I could go so deep. With this. <laughs> um, great questions. Look, the, the biggest one, I think, um, and the one that I repeated like a mantra for like the first seven or eight years of doing bird's robe stuff was um, a bird's robe band should be able to headline the Metro Theatre in Sydney one day. Mm. Um which is, you know, the Metro Theatre is a thousand cap venue in the heart of Sydney. Uh, it's an iconic room. So many legendary uh, bands and artists have played there. And to be able to do that, like, you know, it's not like when you're a local band, sometimes for your album launch, you sort of book a venue that's a bit bigger than what you could normally play because all your friends and family come out of the woodwork for the album launch. So let's say you normally bring 100 people to a show, which is great, by the way. Um, but then on the album launch night, you bring 300 because everybody comes. And so you can book that slightly larger room. The Metro, like, you can't do something like that. Like, you can't book that venue unless you're going to sell six, seven hundred, eight hundred tickets because it's clearly empty. The, the booking agent won't let you book it. So you have to be like a legitimate established touring act to play that room and do it successfully. And so, you know, I, I could have said, oh, yeah, the goal is to play some 400 cap room and sell it out. And obviously you need to try and do that on the way to playing a venue like the Metro. But, you know, being in Sydney and, and being in a scene where the Metro, like the Metro was the heart of like so many amazing tours and, and so much, um, you know, it represented so much of what was awesome around the live scene in Sydney. And it still does. That was the, the big goal. And it was just like, which one of these amazing birds row bands is going to be able to lift its head above water and, and like get to do that. And I was just adamant that, it should be possible, you know, if if there's five, six, seven thousand people out there listening to these much bigger international artists, we should be able to get to one thousand in Sydney. And, you know, by extension, a thousand in Melbourne, you know, sell out the corner hotel or play at the Hi Fi slash Max Watts or something. And and you know, same in the other cities as well. But um that was the big thing and uh when sleep makes waves, you know, I'm sort of skipping around here with the timelines, but like when sleep makes waves got to a point where we were actually getting some triple J support and we, you know, I say we, obviously they are the band. I'm not in the band, but you know, we're a team. Um, and we got to this point where they were like, Oh, we sold 600 tickets to the, the album launch thing and we've done these cool tours with carnival and dead letter circus and i was just like now's the time like you know would everything is going as great as it possibly could like let's go and i sat down with the band and i pitched to them that they're going to play the metro the next year and they were like 
are you serious? Like what <laughs> are you talking about? And like, we did it. And that, that show, which triple J recorded for a live at the wireless. Um, and we're actually like, we're releasing that recording this year, incidentally. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was the dream come true. Um, you know, it didn't mean that everyone's now rolling in money and everyone's making a living from music and, and everyone lives happily ever after. It d- didn't mean anything like that at all. It just was, hey, we proved it could be done and it was an awesome show as well. Like, we didn't just fluke it and drag everyone kicking and screaming. It was truly like a high point uh, of the band's career and like of just for me as a fan getting to ex- experience that atmosphere and um and then the i absolute icing cherry on the cake was having it recorded so well by triple j like triple j recording an instrumental post-rock band for live at the wireless what <laughs> what it's it's ridiculous um so we got super lucky and i still feel so fortunate we got to do that but yeah, that was the thing, and but you know, th- then you get on the other side of that, and you're like, what? What do we do? Do we do it again? Uh, you know, what's next? How do we? And then, like, it was sort of around that time. It was like, well, the the goals. Obviously, there are specific things for every artist they want to tick off, and that's still a goal for other artists. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we did it with one band, so now we stop trying. Like, I want. I would love every artist that I'm involved with to be able to experience something like that. Some never will be able to, but it's still, you know, you still strive for it and hope that you're enjoying the journey along the way. And so, you know, it was around like that sort of period was just going, okay, we can achieve goals like this. We know we can do it. It's going to be a different path for everyone, but also we need to make sure that what, the way we're doing it is sustainable because more than just being able to say we played a cool gig at the Metro one time, we want to be able to say that this band existed for 25 years and put out, you know, 15 incredible albums. Um, And, you know, you don't want to do things that burn out a band so that when they finally play at a venue like the Metro, they play it and then they break up the next week because they're so exhausted. And, um, you know, so many different bands that I've worked with or my friends have been in have had so many different experiences and they've all gone into this melting pot of knowledge um, where we can go, oh, yep, we did these things to get to that goal, but we had some difficulties. So if we had our time again, we might do it you know, in a little bit more of a relaxed way. And uh, that way we, you know, there's no risk of the band having arguments or getting too tired or having too many relationship breakups or, or whatever it is. And so, um, yeah, anyway, that, that, that really was like, that was the goal. I think now really with every artist, because I, I'm working with artists whose music I love and I want them to keep making incredible music um it's always about like how can we make this sustainable uh to the extent that the the musicians still want to actually make music and then yeah in terms of my personal goals um you know i i've always had aspirations to do stuff with my own band 
I've been lucky enough to to play in a couple of bands now that have done lots of cool things that I wanted to do, lots of things that I never even thought were possible. Like they they weren't goals, uh, but then they happened and they were awesome. Um, but uh, there's still a lot of stuff like um, that I would like to achieve as a musician, but I think at a certain point, like in the, in the first few years of Bird's Robe, I wasn't really in a lot of active musical projects. And I just had a period where I was like, oh, well, you know, I had my shot at being in a cool band and, and achieving this stuff myself. doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, and that just kind of made me put more of myself into trying to help these other artists achieve those things. And then when I wasn't looking to do anything myself these opportunities like popped up you know several years later for me to be involved with uh which i'm really thankful about and um yeah i could be i could go into loads more deep detail if you want but uh, around the time that i was like that sleep makes waves were like super busy and uh you know other bands the red paintings meniscus um Toehider, were like churning out loads of material and I was, you know, bringing international artists over to Australia, uh, I'd really sort of essentially given up on my individual musical goals and was really focusing on, you know, this new hobby of promoting other people and, and being the guy to, like, connect audiences with international bands and connect artists with international audiences. And and I was getting a lot of enjoyment out of that. I was learning heaps. Um you know, I had a an office job, so financially I was okay. Like, and so I wasn't ever really having awkward conversations with artists about money. I just I wasn't taking any payment or commissions from anyone. I was just doing it for the love of it because uh, I could afford to. And um, I think that was that kind of helped build up these relationships with a lot of the artists uh, and this goodwill where they were like really comfortable with me, you know, making decisions on their behalf and representing them and, and all this kind of stuff because I wasn't making decisions motivated by taking their money or trying to make money for myself. And, um, and I think that also helped me make good decisions to a certain point. Um, I think at a, at a later point, you know, you probably do want some kind of financial incentive because that incentivizes you to work harder, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but in the early days, I felt like, you know, 10% of a $50 gig fee is five bucks. Like, what's the point of that, <laughs> you know? And I didn't want to put myself in a position. And I also, I saw this with like other people in the scene at the time where they were just they would book too many gigs for an artist because they were getting, you know, f their 50 bucks and they needed that to pay their rent. Um, and it wasn't benefiting the artist strategically. Whereas I was like, Oh, you should probably play a bit less often and try and really make every show a, a real event and an experience for your audience so that everyone's always looking forward to it. And we should only play in like the venues that we like the most because, we want to support them and we want them to be around for longer instead of just playing every single dive bar with a, you know, a load in up six flights of stairs and, 
you know, the audience hates it because the sound is really bad and blah, blah, blah. You know, why, if, if we wouldn't enjoy that as a fan, why would we expect our fans to come, you know, to see you play? So I was all about being a bit more selective and like carefully curating things. And, you know, if I was taking a commission, that would have meant taking less money, but I wasn't taking a commission, so it didn't matter. And then the artist felt like it was all coming from a good place. And, um, yeah, I, I was actually a funny little story. I wasn't, I didn't go into this saying, Hey, all you bands, I'm going to manage you. I was just like, Hey, you guys want to play this gig? Like, we'll just say that it's presented by this thing called bird's robe. So it looks legit. <laughs> and people might think it's like a legitimate night. Cause there were other like small time promoters around Sydney and, they kind of built up a bit of a brand name and people would be like, Oh, that's a, that's an alternative rock night or that's a punk night or whatever. And so we wanted bird's robe, you know, people be like, Oh, bird's robe. That's like a pro post rock night. Like haven't heard of three of the four bands, but I think we'll like them. And, um, I was just booking gigs and like writing into the street press to promote them. And, uh, this band called pirate, were the first band to say like, Hey, you, you're doing really good stuff. Do you want to manage us? And I was just like, Oh no, that sounds like way too much responsibility. I don't <laughs> uh, and they're like, Oh, come on, man. Like, you know, we, you know, we've got such a good relationship and you do a great job. And, you know, I was like, Oh, look, I'll think about it. But I just didn't want that responsibility for like an artist's career to be on my head especially if i stuffed it up anyway <laughs> some time went by and i emailed them about something and they replied to me and i noticed in their email signature they'd listed all their contact information and they'd put mike solo as the manager <laughs> and and i and by that stage like I just, I just laughed and I was like, all right, fine. Like <laughs> whatever, let, you know, let's just do it. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that I had been doing was effectively a managerial role anyway. Like I was out there trying to neg negotiate opportunities for artists. And I just kind of thought that was what a booking agent was doing. But, um, when it started to extend to like, wanting to start a label and wanting to kind of help build a strategy for the artist and helping them with all kinds of other random bits and pieces. Um, I realized, Oh yeah, you know, a manager is just, however, that, you know, the role is defined based on whatever you work out with the artist, whatever the artist seems to want you to do that they can't do themselves. And, um, similar thing happened with uh with sleep makes waves later on like i was just they just brought me on as the booking agent and then uh jono rang me up and was like hey i think it's about time we talk about you managing the band um and we had this big meeting and and i just said look i'm happy to do it uh, to be honest nothing's going to change because like all the stuff i'm already doing for you is stuff that i would just keep doing and that's basically what a manager would do. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> we, did, we didn't even know what a manager did because, like, we never had one. So, you know, um, a lot of it you just make up as you go along. But um, anyway, I hope that answered your question. Sorry. For going 
<laughs> it absolutely did. Oh, I, I mean, it's great. It's just, I think, just being in that that DIY space, that independent space, and and just building things and trying different things and collaborating with lots of different people who ultimately, I mean, everyone, as, as you said before, uh, trying to achieve different things. Everyone's got a different type of goal that they're, they're aiming for, but ultimately I guess it boils down to the creating music and they want, they want as many people to, to hear it as possible. They want to be able to put it out there and, and have people enjoy it and get that reaction and that connection with people. And to be able to sort of have all of these circumstances where you're you're interacting with lots of different bands i mean as you're talking i'm like i'm on i'm on your website i'm in the about section i'm just scrolling through this like never-ending list of bands that you've worked with (laughs) over the years but it's amazing because there's so many bands there i've just i've forgotten about as well from from many years ago just fantastic bands but it must be just must be so incredible i guess and i don't know how often you take the time to sort of reflect back and think about a lot of this stuff because I would assume, like, one of the questions I was going to ask you, actually, and this might be a good way to sort of lead into it, is I know that, no doubt, just the way that you've been talking about it, is that you've just got a genuine love of just doing all of this. It comes naturally to you because you just want to do it. It's not a, it's not coming from a, you know, a career perspective where you've got this career path that you're trying to, trying to you know, walk down. It's just as things pop up, you're diving at it, you're giving it a go and you're just enjoying, enjoying this whole process. Um, but you know, you mentioned before about having the office job and that's being able to sort of fuel you and keep things going. But I know how difficult and how time consuming it is for one band. Uh, but for you to work with so many different bands over the years and be involved, I mean, a, where did you find the time? And that might be a really silly question because I think you just make the time, but also B, burnout and being able to be sustainable for yourself to be able to sort of, I mean, it's not just the label, it's, it's, it's the managing aspect. And I know that you naturally went into that. It's the touring aspect. It's all the PR stuff. It's all this stuff. It's just, there's so many fingers that you have to have your, you know, you have to have your finger in so many different pies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, where time and time and burnout, I mean, it's probably a good topic to talk about. Yeah, that's another great question. And even the even how you phrased it, like um, that question, how do you find the time? Uh, I got asked that a lot and, and I still do a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on a few things that you brought up. So um, when I when I so I don't have the office job anymore, I resigned in 2017 um, but I had the office job for about 10 years. And so, yeah, this, this was just like, uh, I, I was in a band when I didn't have a girlfriend, um, and bird's robe started coming up and like my whole social life was in music and bird's robe shows and stuff. And so when I did, you know, start dating someone, 90% of our interactions were at, gigs you know with with bands and stuff and so it it didn't because music was my whole social life um there wasn't sort of as much of a sacrifice in that regard as there would be later um which i'll get to but uh yeah (laughs) it was just like in terms of doing stuff um you know smartphones came out whenever i don't know the 
early 2010s or something. And so on my commute to work, I'd be on my phone doing all the emails and phone calls that I needed to do. Then I'd be at work. Then on my lunch break, I'd be doing more bird's robe stuff, you know, sitting outside or just sitting at my desk. Uh, and then as soon as work finished on the commute home, I'd be doing more bird's robe stuff all through the evening, more bird's robe band stuff or going to a gig or whatever. And it was just like, it was like having a second job, except I loved it. It was just like having a amazing hobby. I don't know if, if people love playing a sport and they got to do it, you know, for five hours every day after work or if they like playing video games or whatever, like that's what I did. And, and my motto was like, I don't play video games. I run a record label. Like, and I didn't, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy playing Pac-Man. I was quite good at playing Pac-Man. Um, <laughs> I was, I actually had the number 11 score on online Pac-Man at one point uh, <laughs> in the world. So um, I forgot to take a screenshot of it though. So anyway, uh, but I was just like, oh, this thing is just so new and cool and exciting. And it's, you know, my social life. And so I just loved it. And yeah, as you said, you just make time for it. And um, and so I just was doing that. And I, and I never had any, I had the office job. I knew how hard it was to make money in music. I never had any concept or goal to make money from it or make a living from it because I just knew it was not possible. And so it all kind of carried along and um, eventually I, you know, I'd, I'd have like late nights and be tired and whatever, but like, you know, when you love playing a gig with your band, you know, anyone who's ever done a show and or done a few shows, like you just, you sacrifice so much for it because it it's just such a great catharsis, it's such a great feeling to be able to, create and play music with people and share it and perform it and um and i just loved it it was like my escape from you know staring down the barrel of like 40 years working behind a desk and um you know not that i didn't enjoy my job like i i did i thought really good work i was working for the state government doing pricing regulation and economic policy advice and like I felt like that exercised part of my brain and I was contributing to society by like helping you know make things more efficient and and I was getting paid and had great job security and wonderful people to work with and all these cool opportunities and experiences but ultimately I was going to be pretty much doing the same thing for 40 years and I wanted to be creative and and like have this escape from all that and that's what music was so I, I like put aside huge chunks of time and, and was super passionate about it um and it and it didn't feel like burnout but as things go on and more opportunities start to arise and you get more involved with artists like nothing ever goes quite as smoothly as you want it to and when artists start touring interstate or internationally um, and I, you know, initially I was like, I want to go everywhere with the band because I want to go to Europe and see what it's like to be at this Belgian festival. And I want to go to Melbourne and watch my band play to a Melbourne audience for the first time <clears throat> and, and stand in the crowd with everyone else while they see this amazing pirate or sleep makes waves or 
meniscus or whatever. Um, but eventually I'm like, all right, I can't travel with them. But now I'm getting emails in the middle of the night because the band is on tour in Italy and the promoter's ripping them off and like, how do we solve this problem? You know, there's all this, all these kind of unforeseen scenarios that are popping up. Like, how do I handle all this stuff? And at the same time, I'm married and, you know, my social life isn't 100% music all the time. It's also trying to have, you know, my normal relationship and spend time with my family and all that kind of stuff. So um, there's no way around it. Like it got super difficult and I had to work out new ways of doing stuff that were more efficient, more respectful to my partner and my health and my family and figure out, uh, a different way of kind of balancing my life because when you're in the moment, you're sort of always just thinking like, oh, well, and, and I think a lot of people face this with their jobs or other activities or loads of different things, really. It's like, oh, well, once I get past this difficult period, then it'll all be fine. And you just keep telling yourself that over and over again, but then you realize actually there's always some other thing, some other, you know, workload or difficult scenario. So if you want to have more time for a relationship or looking after your health or, you know, spending time with your brother or your cousin or your parents or whatever, like you just have to make that time yourself and figure out a new way of doing things and maybe say no to a couple of projects or, or whatever. And so, uh, my way of dealing with it was to just try and like put in place a, a bit more of a routine where as a minimum, like my health and lifestyle goals were looked after, whether that was just like some extra time for me or for me with my partner or whatever, um, or visiting my family. And I also just was like even more rigidly efficient with getting, work done and bird's robe admin work done and you know there was so little time for procrastination or lounging around on social media or even you mentioned you're on the bird's robe website uh, andy mm. don't the artist profile section like <laughs> i was like no one is reading this i don't have time to sit here for 15 hours updating every single time someone plays another show I'll get around to this eventually, but like I didn't start this bird's robe thing to build an all-conquering, world-dominating brand that would reap me millions of dollars. Like I started it as a vehicle for all the individual artists to build their own communities. So, you know, if if I've got three hours spare on a Sunday afternoon, I'm going to log in and update some artist website for them because they don't have time rather than go and update my own website. Now, obviously, you know, if I'm promoting someone that, like an international artist, I have a responsibility to them. So I do all the stuff that I need to do in that regard, but like all the kind of, uh, oh, yeah, I want to make my graphics look a bit more pretty or, you know, write a bit more of a history of myself in my bio, like all that stuff falls by the wayside because it's not what I see as productive work whereas 
you know, booking the next set of tour dates or having an artist meeting about their new album demos or whatever, like that's all the stuff that adds value to, for these artists. Um, so it's a, it's a slightly different way of doing things. And, you know, when you try and prioritize uh, your health and well-being and your family and the other goals you have in life, it, it means that there's always some extra backlog of work to do, especially when you work for yourself. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, after several years uh, and without going into like a, a longer story than this already is, I got to a point where I was playing in a band um, and, it, and it was like, oh, I'm making some decent money from this and the bird's robe thing is no longer losing me money because it seems like I've worked out how to stop losing money doing it. And so if I actually resign from my office job, I might be able to just do this full time. Um, and so when I did that, initially that like gave me a whole lot more time. And I think a lot of artists saw that the level of service that I was providing them improved a little bit, even if it was just like my replies to their emails were slightly more in real time rather than a couple of days delayed or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was able to take on more things like the merch fulfillment. Um, you know, you described sending out in, you know, all the merch stuff for your merch store. And, and that's what I do for a lot of the birds row backs. Um, because the alternative is like all of those artists were like trying to send out stuff themselves, but not having the time because they all had jobs and families and stuff. And I was just like, well, if I now have the time, I'll do it. I'll you know, negotiate cheaper postage rates so that everyone benefits from that. And I'll, you know, kind of make it more efficient because I'm, I can go to the post office every other day and, um, you know, make sure that I'm ordering uh, envelopes in bulk and getting better rates and all kinds of stuff. And um, so I've been able to do stuff like that. And then since I had a, a son, um, you know, I've been able to be at home more to look after him during the day and especially during the pandemic and stuff like that. You know, I wasn't having to, to either be at an office, you know, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or, or like try and work from home with a baby in the background. Um, obviously, when you're, you're touring, like you're spending time away from your family. Um, so that's a whole other issue. But uh yeah, I had sort of had this dream of like, oh, if I could work for myself for a year, um, even if it, it didn't work out and I had to go back to it, to an office job, at least I could say that I did it. And so now it's it's been four years and I'm just still trying to keep it going as long as I can. Um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, the office job was a safety net and a security that allowed me to make investments with Bird, Bird's Robe where... I could tour an international artist and if I lost a bit of money or if I, if I, you know, helped float a band some cash to, to buy their flights overseas and then they paid me back once they sold the merchandise in Europe, um, I was able to do all that kind of stuff because I had that day job. And a lot of those investments and losses were, I guess, necessary to kind of get things to a point where an artist could be profitable on their own and it, you know the second international tour 
by an artist could be profitable for them and so I'm not losing money on it anymore. And so, uh, you know, I don't think I could have made that decision to resign and work for myself any earlier than I did because, um, you know, I needed to sort of learn how to do things better and, and pick and choose which opportunities to invest in and also like certain artists to, had to kind of grow and get to the point where they could be profitable as well. So I think I answered your question again. Uh, you did, you did. Hopefully. Oh, no, I love yeah. it. And it's, I mean, it's the, it's trying to, I think you, you naturally find your way and I think everybody naturally finds their way over time or at least most people do where that hot, that word of, you know, being like sustainability, you know, and just trying to find a way to find that balance to play the long game. I think, I think that's a big thing that I've, it's sort of been a, something that's, that's really been front of mind for me over the past, you know, 12 odd months with, with everything that's been happening around the world and seeing a lot of friends and peers, you know, go through lots of different, uh, you know, challenges and seeing sort of, I think I think a lot of artists in particular have sort of started to realize that this really is a long a long game that we're playing you know this is this is meant yeah. to be a part of our lives that we're we're building towards and and we can take our time we can build the back end and get everything right get the foundations in place we don't have to hustle we're not competing against everybody else and although we're we're sometimes at the mercy of you know those release radars on Spotify and and what, <laughs> what everybody else is doing in our in our local local scenes or in in our genre uh, subgenre whatever it might be. Um, it, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time to succeed, and and it's it's all about taking making the right decisions as you go and understanding that you don't have to shortcut it or jump the gun. And I think when the world, at least for a short space of time more or less paused and stopped in its tracks, I think a lot of people had the ability to look through the clouds and start to realize some of these things and go, well, eventually this is going to come back and and we can pick up where we left off and that's okay. And um, just listening to what, you know, you talking through a lot of this stuff, you naturally have got to that stage through a series of events over time where you've learnt through experience that, you know, this, you need to make it sustainable. You, you went through a period where you went hard and, and, you know, it was, it was able, you were able to do it at the time, but then obviously other things in life have come in and, and, uh, have taken or have, uh, split your attention and, and your, 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 uh, your, your resource, your energy, and you've had to then, uh, sort of, you know, adjust and, and find that balance. So it's just, it's such an important thing that I don't, I just don't think a lot of artists have really thought about until probably more recent times. Yeah, Andy, that like you've summed it up perfectly. And, and, you know, the pandemic is another great example of how a lot more people have come to that realization um, just about life in general. You know, we, we're obviously here talking about music and, um, you know, that's a great example of it. But yeah, look, you know, I, I the way I talk about this stuff now is probably, um, you know, a bit different to the way I, I conceived of it. 10 or 11 years ago and and I feel like uh I'm able to talk about it more easily just because I've had more experience and seen whether things like going super hard or having breaks actually make any kind of significant difference to an artist's career 
And that way, when I'm talking to an artist now, I can say with loads more confidence, like, hey, you know, when, you know, they'll be like, when do you want our next album to come out? And I'm like, hey, look, you know, I would love for it to be out the first half of next year, but also just whenever it's ready. Like it's if we if we move it by three months, it really honestly is not going to make a huge difference. And in 10 years time, you're not going to look back and say, I wish we put out our album three months earlier. Mm. You know, those are the and I'm like, people are going, oh, you know, should we spend the money on this thing now? Like, you know, it'll make us a bit more comfortable, but, you know, it's 1500 bucks. And I'm like, come on, man, like. I want you to still be around in 15 years time. So be more comfortable, like have a separate bed when you go on tour with your band. And, uh, and then in 15 years, we won't be wishing that you hadn't broken up because you got into fights with each other or whatever. Like <clears throat> I always try and put this super long-term perspective on it. And, um, you know, it, it, it was interesting because like everyone – I still think this happens now, but certainly in the early days when a, a, a like a couple of artists like Sleep Makes Waves were kicking some goals really early on. And I, I'd talk to other artists and they'd always be like, yeah, so, you know, we know that what you have to do to get this success is play all these shows and like, you know, do this really quickly and do that and you have to sacrifice this and that's how you get there. And I'd be like, whoa, like, wh where did you get that perspective from? And they're like, oh, well, that's what Sleep Makes Waves did or that's what Meniscus did or something. And I'm like, uh, no, no, that's, that's not what happened at all. Like, here are these other things that, you know, helped us get on that Europe tour or that Carnival tour support or whatever. And, you know, you just ask me and I'll tell you all the stories, right? But like... um. You know, there's seen like a lot of artists kind of have this notion that you have to suffer for your art and you have to starve and you have to like slog it out and, you know, get be willing to get ripped off and whatever. And then finally, there's a big payday at the end of it. And yeah, of course, like there are many artist stories where that happens, but I don't think that's the reason for success. It's just so happened that you know, that's the way things played out. But uh, yeah, I, I was just like, I'd seen, you know, especially being manager or, or label manager or whatever role I had with a lot of artists, you know, seen too many artists like struggle and be upset because they were getting burnt out to know better. And I was like, look, you know, I've been there with all these different artists, all this like slogging it out and, you know, whatever, it doesn't help. It's way better to just try and enjoy it every single step of the way. There'll be a few difficult moments, but overall, like, it should be a, a, a positive thing. And um, something else you touched on is just, like, you know, how you sort of organize your life. I, I've sort of – I had to start with myself just being, like, what does my ideal – lifestyle look like you know i wake up every day and i want to have x amount of time for doing work and x amount of time for spending time with family x amount of time doing some exercise or 
being creative or bludging in front of the TV, whatever it is. And, you know, whatever that ideal like design of my life looks like, how do I get there? Do I need to get some more financial flexibility or security to then be more comfortable doing that stuff? Or do I need just, you know, stop playing video games to have that extra two hours a day? Or do I need to, you know, resign from an office job that's making me spend three hours commuting every day in order to have that extra time? Like what are all the things I need to try and do? And then once I work out all that, then how can I put a plan in place to get there? And, you know, is it going to take me six months or six years or whatever it is? And um, it's the same with artist goals. It's, it's sort of like a lot of the artists will just be looking at what some other band is doing and thinking that that is, you know, they wrote the book on how to do it. When in reality, it's just all about, hey, well, what's your goal? You know, and what, what does your lifestyle look like? You know, let's try and design something that works for you guys so that you can be around a lot longer making great music and still achieving your goals. And it might look a bit different to what that other artist did, but hopefully we'll get to the same result in the end or maybe somewhere better. Um, so, yeah, as you say, it's, it's been interesting. And I think the pandemic, you know, I, I, I know so many of us were always like, oh, I wish I could just have one of those magic clocks from Harry Potter where you just press pause and then you can just catch up on all your life and your work and then restart the clock and like the pandemic in a lot of ways has kind of been that um a lot of artists that were kind of feeling like they were just on a treadmill of touring or writing or releasing music have been able to hit the pause button and go like sort out elements of their life or just have a break um and then come back to it and say hey let's design a way of doing this band thing you know, in a way that we're all a bit more comfortable with in future. And, you know, clearly not touring for two years hasn't totally ended our careers. So maybe we don't have to go out and be away from our families for quite so much every year. But, you know, it, it's a bit different. Like most of the artists that I work with, they're not making a living from their music. They're doing exceptionally well in many ways but they all have the security of other jobs and, and i think because they do have that there's a lot less pressure and expectation projected onto what music has to be for them music can just be a fun outlet mm. um but for a period of time you know there were some artists that were relying on it for an income or were aspiring to have it as a long-term income and you know you see the different kinds of thought processes and decision-making and stress that comes into it when it is that full-time income. And, you know, the majority of my income these days is playing in a band that relies on live music, uh, live performance fees. And so uh, for me and for that band, um, having the pandemic was like a real big stress and like review of our situation was like how long are we going to be able to survive without playing shows um and, and you know for a lot of artists in australia and around the world they might not be niche post-rock and prog bands but 
you know, a lot of them are still my friends and they, they do rely on touring and all that kind of stuff for money. And, um, you know, it has been a real tough situation for them. And, you know, the, the pandemic in general, I mean, it goes without saying, like, um, there's been a lot of positives to come out of this period of reflection and, and pressing pause uh, because we've all tried to make the best of it. But, you know, if you said to me, hey, you're going to, you're going to work out a new great way of structuring your life, but several hundred thousand people in the world are going to die. Do you want to take that deal? I'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, can, I, can you just give me the magic clock? Uh, I'll, I'll press that button. So, but, but like, there's no need for anyone to feel guilty about saying that the pandemic has been good for them, you know, or bad for them. Like it's just, all you can do in any situation is try and make the best of it. So, you know, someone saying, hey, yeah, actually, you know, since the pandemic began, I've like looked after myself better and I'm feeling great and, you know, I'm glad I had this. It doesn't mean that you're saying you're glad all those people, you know, were suffering. It's just, it just is what it is. Um, you know, I, I just, I feel like I need to clarify that because I feel like so many people have, uh, really struggled mentally because of the pandemic, because of lockdown, because of, um, you know, the inability to do things that they love, whether it's music or, or travel or visit family. Um, and I think, you know, people who have not had a difficult time, who've had a, been able to make good of it, I think those people should be able to say that because I think there's value in sharing all those different experiences um, you know, how do you make the best of a bad situation? Like we should all be able to learn from that. So I'm, that's why I'm always interested, you know, people who are saying like, Oh, I've really been struggling. Like I want to know their story because it helps me understand, um, you know, all the different ways that this unique world event has affected people. But the people who say, Oh, I've been doing great. I want to hear, I want to hear their story as well, because I might learn something about how, when these unprecedented events happen, like what is it that, you know, sparked some reflection in them and like, how did they deal with it? And is it something I can learn from or is it something I can then pass on to someone else? Um, and, you know, that's, that's also an analogy for just the music industry. As you said uh, a lot earlier in the conversation, you know, you meet all these different people and uh, I used to think, that networking like I was just like what's the point of me networking at big sound like meeting all these people who've never supported underground heavy music or prog or, or whatever and probably never will like what's the point of me meeting all of them and you know then I met a couple of people who were just really lovely people and they would just tell me stories about you know, dealing with an artist or traveling in a certain country or whatever. And I would realize that, you know, if you take the genre of music away, otherwise these are all just people having experiences in a creative industry and you can learn heaps of stuff. And, you know, we don't all have to love Discipline by King Crimson to be able to get along and have a conversation. And so I feel, yeah, like I've made some great friends who I, I basically have nothing to do with in a business capacity. Like when we meet up, it's not, there's no, you know, 
like, oh, we've, we're here to do some kind of business. It's just like, hey, what are you working on? What am I working on? That all sounds really interesting. Cool. And then if, uh, if I meet someone later on who sounds like they'd benefit from an introduction to that other person, then that's great. So, um, yeah. I think it's a bit, a bit of that uh, genuine curiosity just in other people. Like, you know, obviously just having the interest, you know, and not so much just with the intention of being able to take something from somebody, like, you know, an idea or a lesson or anything like that. It's just that genuine interest of having a conversation and learning learning about how someone ticks or what their world's like. And then, you know, and it's usually, I mean, I think you sort of mentioned this somewhere in this chat earlier on where, um, you know, you, I think, you know, things happen unexpectedly. So, you know, a lot of the time you're sort of out there conversing with people or, or doing different things and there's no agenda. There's no underlying agenda or intention yeah. behind it. Uh, yeah. um, but then, yeah. but then opportunities pop up at, when you least expect it. It's that old cliche, you know, and, and I think you sort of used a couple of examples earlier on where so things just, just happen, opportunities open up, but it's more, it's not a case uh, where you've gone to one person and said, Hey, this is what I want from you. It's just a genuine approach of building relationships and learning about people where things may or may not happen down the track, but that's not the the reason for conversing and interacting with people in the first place. Yeah, I, that, that word agenda, um, that's what I was looking for before. Yeah, so it's, you know, going just to connect with people because that's actually just a great thing to do with your life is connect with other people and and, and learn from them and listen to them and share stories um you know it's something i've come to appreciate uh and and, you know i credit the whole bird's robe thing with like turning me from an extreme introvert to a less extreme introvert um i was never naturally comfortable in social situations but um you know i feel my name being attached to bird's robe just gives me like a little bit of a foot in the door to a bunch of conversations now and i feel more comfortable um talking to people because of it and yeah the the thing you're referring to just uh with stuff happening yeah i was talking about um goal setting and you know things just kind of opportunities just happening by virtue of the position that that you're able to put yourself in and um yeah like one of those examples was um you know playing the metro theater in sydney uh around the same time that I was trying to get Sleep Makes Waves to that metro level, I joined a band that then was able to headline the metro theatre around the same time and sell it out and then go on to repeatedly sell out the metro theatre to the point where we got to we were like, oh, well, maybe we should play the Enmore Theatre, which is 2,000 capacity. Mm. And, like, that was never on the list. Like, that was never on my list, but it, it just happened, and it, it was amazing. And, you know, similar things have happened with other artists where, um, you know, it's just been like uh, Sleep Makes Waves, you know, their goal was to go play South by Southwest and and play in Europe and then the opportunity came up to tour with 65 days of static on like a full European tour for six weeks. And 
they were like, like that wasn't on the list, but they were like, okay, yeah, we have to do this. You know, it's probably a once in a lifetime experience. And then, you know, just things going on from there with all kinds of different bands, you know, like touring China or touring India or playing with, um, you know, someone like this will destroy you from America or, uh, Mew, you know, coming to Australia for the first time and, and like just all kinds of stuff like that. Um, that like a lot of artists, those things weren't sort of on their list or, or, you know, those opportunities to work with those artists weren't on my list, but then they came up and they were nevertheless awesome things that, brought about just as much joy as some of the all-time bucket list goals. Mm. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it is like, you you know, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And, and it's the same with meeting and talking to different people. Um, you just hear stories that you, you may have never conceived of before. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shoot, like, that's a great piece of advice to keep in mind or wow you know i i never know never knew that experience was possible maybe i should check that out and you know whether it's a music thing or a life thing you know whatever it is it's just um it's definitely just a worthwhile use of time and as is reading books and you know listening to podcasts for example uh, such as this one um all all very worthwhile uses of time yeah definitely I, uh, I could keep talking to you for ages. I think just talking shop and just all the ins and outs of just, just that hustle I, 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 and, and hustle in a good way, not, to, not in a burnout sort of way, but just, uh, really sort of being intentional about making decisions. And I think even you sort of alluded to it earlier about sort of being the busyness of getting stuck into something that ultimately may not be driving the, you know, the, the putting you in the right direction for, for those larger goals and prioritizing things and sacrificing things. And it's just so many, so many uh, different topics that I could just uh, chew your ear off for, for hours, but um, we might, we might have to actually uh, make that time and catch up in person. We'll, we'll, we'll do another chat, but um, I know that you're getting closer to the end of this Kickstarter campaign for, for the documentary for Bird's Robe. Um, do you want to give a quick rundown of, of that? Cause I'll, I'll definitely have this out before, before that ends. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Um, you mentioned earlier in the chat about, you know, all the different bands and, and whether I get a chance to sort of reflect on all of it. And, um, yeah, what we're doing is making a documentary series, um, based around bird's robe and, and it's going to talk a bit about what bird's robe is and how it started and, you know, what's kind of come along from day one until now and, you know, how we've pulled a bunch of artists together and, you know, sold out shows all over the world and had artists nominated for Arias and in the charts and on radio and selling records and touring and all this kind of stuff. But I think more importantly, what I wanted to do is um, actually feature a lot of the individual artists and, um, you know, people, there'll be artists that people are more familiar with, like We Lost the Sea and Toe Hider and Sleep Makes Waves and Closure in Moscow. And, you know, I want to really basically like give them features on, you know, their careers because that's what 
fans of those bands are, are really interested in, but go into a little bit more detail about, you know, the difficulties that they've had, um, you know, how they approach music and life and touring and a lot of the same topics that you and I have discussed today. And then also, you know, cast a bit of a spotlight on some of the bands that maybe aren't active anymore, but who are really instrumental, pun intended, in getting those early days of Bird's Robe um, to feel like the community and family and, and being su as successful as it was. And I guess this kind of just ties into another point I wanted to make, which is, you know, all those bands that were part of the early days of Bird's Robe, I wasn't sitting there like picking who's going to become successful and, and like focusing all my attention on them. I was just trying to give, create as many opportunities as I could for as many of those artists as I could and just, you know, whatever people latched onto that was, they were going to be the artists that would drag everyone else up with them. And so it just, there wasn't any calculated plan. It wasn't like I saw a band and was like, they're going to be huge. They're going to be on triple J. They're going to do this. It was just like, here are all the opportunities and connections and everything. And, Oh, it looks like people like these guys. So let's try and run with that. And then, Oh, two years later, it looks like people are connecting with these guys. Let's, let's try and run with that. And, they all go off in di different directions. And so um, a lot of those early artists were responsible for like creating a, a scene and a community that was able to be fertile enough to nurture the growth of some of these artists that are, are now still active today and doing really well. So, um, you know, we're just running a Kickstarter campaign to help fund some of the production costs for that because I wanted to... Uh, you know, bring in some extra help um, to help produce it and tell the stories and and really go wide with the interviews. Like we're not just talking to band members and having them say, oh, we formed because we picked a name out of a hat. You know, I, I want to talk to like the crew that were on tour with them and saw everything, you know, the the media and the fans that have seen the evolution of these acts and, you know, the people in the industry that maybe, you know, had to be convinced to give them some opportunity, but then they took it and they ran with it. And I also want to show the connections be between all these different artists and, you know, share how they feel about each other, whether it's good or bad, you know, how they kind of uh, influenced each other and, and all that kind of stuff and, and get a whole, a whole bunch of different perspectives represented. So, um, yeah, we're, we're pretty close to meeting that Kickstarter goal. We just need a few more, uh, a couple more thousand bucks to get it over the line. And I've just been really um, overwhelmed with the, the kind words and support uh, from people when we announced that we were doing it and, um, you know, the genuine excitement uh, of the artists to be involved and talk about themselves and and other and you know their friends and um and their willingness to go over some of the difficult stuff as well as the the happy stuff so um yeah you know if, if anyone wants to check it out it's i think if they just google birds robe kickstarter or if they go to the birdsrobe.com website they can find out more information and there's a whole background spiel and 
a little video um, where you can hear more of my monotone voice if you want. <laughs> and uh, yeah, look, I, I really appreciate the the chat and the opportunity to talk about that as well. Andy, thanks so much. Um, yeah, it's it's still awesome for me to get to be asked about all this stuff. And I genuinely really enjoy just telling stories and, you know, hearing how you perceive all this stuff as well. So really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'll, I'll chuck a link in, uh, in the show notes and in the little description field so people can just click through and, and hopefully support. I think just it's, I mean, I was really excited with the announcement. I think it's a great, it's a great idea and just the way that you've, uh, contextualized it and framed it. It's, it's more than just, you know, a, a sort of, a sort of baseline documentary of just going, doing a bit of a recap and a reflection. It's really sort of going down a number of different paths and, and, uh, and sort of getting deep from, from different perspectives. And I think just, you know, talking to you tonight and just getting a little bit more of that, that more of that substance, it's, uh, it's sort of adding in another level of excitement to, to what this project is. So hopefully other people that have been listening will get inspired and click through and, and throw a couple of dollars your way for the, for the project and, and reach target and be waiting, waiting for, uh, for that, uh, eventual release when it comes out. But, uh, mate, I, I said earlier in the chat, like, I really admire like what you do and what you have done over the years. It's just, I mean, there needs to be more people out there doing the type of work that you do. Um, I think bands just regardless of whether you get management or you go on a label or anything like that, I think there's just a lot of fundamental things that, a part of your makeup that I think people can really learn and, and apply just in their day to day of just being a musician or being in a band. Um, just so many sort of just great, great approaches and just great outlooks and, and mindsets that, uh, that can just make such a massive difference and take a lot of the load off that a lot of that stress that is just completely unnecessary. It's just, it's old baggage from other eras that have just dragged on and uh, a lot of myths yeah. that, that are out there that uh, just don't need to be, uh, we just don't need to spend any time on them. So hopefully people have um, got a few things out of this and dig into your world a bit more and, and yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be waiting for this doco. I can't wait. <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, look, thanks so much again for the kind words. Um, if I can just add a couple of things quickly, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I generally try and be accessible. So if, if people want to ask, questions about any kind of random stuff they can always just email me and i'll try and find the time at some point um uh, you know I, I don't want it to feel like it's you know people i think sometimes there's this perception of like oh you know he'll get annoyed if i ask this dumb question or whatever and it's not like that at all um you know i would rather talk to people and that you know i'll have stories like this that come up in the documentary just like artists that I would have loved to work with who didn't ask me because they thought I was too busy or something. <laughs> I wouldn't like it. Um, and uh, sorry, the other thing, I just, I felt, I feel like, I'm sorry, Andy, I have to just tell everyone that Toe Hider is like one of the best musicians in the world and everyone should listen to Toe Hider. <laughs> um, and I feel like you appreciate, you'll appreciate that, but like, I just, yeah, he is incredible and he's such a huge part of the reason why I do all this stuff. Um, so, I, yeah, anyway, if any of any of the Andy listeners are not familiar with Toe Hider, check it out. 
Um, but yeah, man, so much of what you said, uh, just really hits the mark. Like, um, yeah, we should definitely catch up and just hang out and talk more about this stuff sometime. So, um, anytime it's good. Sounds good, man. I, I, um, yeah, I can't agree more about Toe Hot. I'm glad you managed to, to shove that in right at the end there. I'm sure Mike, if, if Mike <laughs> listens to this, he's going to be cringing, but deep down he really appreciate it. I know, I know he gets a bit yeah. awkward with that stuff, but, uh, he's, yeah. he's too modest for his own good. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, sorry, another thing that like people who don't know, there used to be a website called ozprog.com with a forum on it. And there were all these different artist forums for like Lord and Toe and Arcane and Caligula's Horse and, and all these amazing bands. And I just kind of stumbled across this community and there are people like yourself, Andy and, Mike from Toe Hider and Jim from Caligula's Horse, like actively posting. And that's where I first felt like there was some kind of like community across Australia of people interested in music and interested in helping each other with advice and, you know, promoting cool music. And um, I just have such a great fondness for all those people that I, I met online through those like first internet interactions and it it just it's just so amazing that we're here in 2021 and like you're running a podcast and smashing it with lord mike mills is doing toe hider for a living now like that was one of my dreams (laughs) when i first heard his music was like oh my god i i hope that one day this guy can just like make a living out of this this is amazing and you know we don't even know, need to talk about like all the goals that Caligula's horse are kicking and, you know, those guys are, have just worked so hard for all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, look, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm just gushing and, and using up your podcast time now, but uh, <laughs> it's just, I, I, you know, I'm not just sitting here being like, yeah, yeah, you know, we deserve it, blah, blah, blah. I'm just genuinely just in awe of like how, so many people from all the way back then are, are sitting here now and we're just, there's still like brand new exciting things happening. Like Lord is charting with a covers record and it's awesome. You know, uh, it's just, yeah, it's unbelievably cool. So thanks again for, for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, you know, I love a little bit of a call to action. So folks, if you've ever listened to any artist that's ever been a part of the Bird's Robe roster or the collective, um, you can go to birdsrobe.com, go to the about section alone. Uh, don't worry about the artist section, but go to the about section and you can see the long list of bands that uh, Mike has worked with both Australian and international artists. And if you've ever listened to any of these artists, please consider being a part of this Kickstarter campaign. I'm going to have a link in the show notes uh, or in the description of whatever you're listening to this through right now and uh, click through, have a look at the campaign. There's, a, there's an awesome little trailer that's been put together to explain it and a, an awesome story that really contextualizes um, what this project is all about. And I think this can only do amazing things for the Australian music scene and for and for music fans worldwide. Uh, I think this is just an amazing thing that... Uh, Mike is is putting together, so please uh, consider getting uh, behind it. Uh, The project, uh, the Kickstarter campaign ends on the 23rd of May, 
at 7.56 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, just to be really specific there. But uh, let's just say um, by Saturday, the 22nd of May, uh, please uh, consider getting getting amongst this. And, and my international friends, just remember that we live in the future. So if you listen to this on time, please uh, get, get in there earlier rather than later. And uh, let's see if we can help Mike reach his uh, Kickstarter goal to, uh, yeah, as I said earlier, kickstart, kickstart this uh, project. There you go. Uh, so go and check it all out. I'll have everything in the show notes, of course, over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. I'll have the social media links for Bird's Robe, for Mike. Everything that we've discussed will be over there. So go and check it all out. Um, now, before we uh, wrap it up, of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash andydowling. Can't stress enough. It's the best way to support this podcast. And uh, one of my goals for this year is to get as many $1 supporters as possible. So what that means is it's $1 a month. Uh, Literally, that's it. And it's a little feel-good payment. It's a little warm, fuzzy feeling that you get. You won't even notice it. And it's a great way just to back me and this podcast. This podcast is getting closer and closer to six years, which is just insane. And we're getting closer to 300 episodes as well. And uh, the Patreon community is the reason why this thing still exists. It's just absolutely amazing. So uh, go to patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. If you want access to the Patreon podcast episode that comes out each Tuesday or um, free stuff, free shit, giveaways, um, there are additional tiers there that you can support in a number of different ways. But uh, ultimately, if I can get you guys on the $1 tier and just uh, chuck me a, a buck a month, then uh, that would be absolutely amazing. So patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. And a massive thank you in particular to the people that are on my top two uh, tiers on Patreon. These guys are the the heavy hitters. These guys are the the massive contributors um, who support this podcast. Just throw me throw me ridiculous money every month. And I'm just I'm just continuously thankful for for their support. So uh, thank you in particular to Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Daniloquin, Dan from Dapto, Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina, Patrick from Canberra, Liam from Brisbane, Chris from Sydney, Brendo from Leeton, Tim from Canberra, James from Brisbane, Christian from Canberra, Steve from the Gold Coast, and Andrew from Sydney. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, These folks are part of the wider community of just absolutely amazing people who support me and the Andy Social Podcast over at Patreon. So please go and check it all out. If you've got any questions, hit me up. Um, But... uh, it's just, uh, it, it, as I said, it's it's the reason why this this podcast still exists and it's why it's still firing on all cylinders uh, most of the time, and uh, and it's doing two episodes a week as well. It's because of the the amazing people over at Patreon. So I'm going to stop gushing about the people over at Patreon, but uh, go and check it all out over Patreon.com/slash Andy Dowling. Uh, now next episode, I have got uh, now if all goes to plan, I'm just thinking, uh, I'm trying to think ahead of here, trying to be a little bit more planned. Um, I'm going to have an international guest on the podcast, somebody that you may not be familiar with, but um, I want to introduce you to this person, uh, a, a musician playing some great music, has an album coming out in the next month or two, and uh, just just a really, really cool guy. And I'm looking forward to sharing this chat with you and introducing you to this person. And hopefully um, you'll become a fan of, of him and his music. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Until next episode, folks, take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.